0: Good afternoon. good afternoon, awesome, all right, well it's, uh, it's good to be with you all today, worshiping together, Pastor Paul asked me to share from God's word before our eldest daughter Sharice moves to uh, Houston for university, so actually Sharice, I've got about five points I want to share with you, so let's go ahead and get those. All right, so I wanted to give you a little bit of advice from dad. Uh, the, f- the first one's going to be love. Love is a decision that involves not only your heart, but all of your mind, soul, strength, and body. It's not a reaction or even a mere feeling. When you love someone, it's a decision that you make no matter what happens in your lives or no matter what they even do to you. The perfect example of love is what God did for us by giving us his one and only son to die for us on the cross, despite mankind's horrible reaction to this beautiful gift. The second one would be perseverance. And so in perseverance, I want you, Cherise, to rely on God to give you strength as you go through trials and temptations in life. Know that you are a child of God. Because at a young age, you put your faith in Christ alone As your personal savior. And so that means that you have been saved by God's grace. And you haven't been saved just because you've been going to church your whole life, since even before the day you were born, when you were still in in mommy's womb. You're 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 not saved because you're a pastor's kid. You are saved by grace through your faith in Christ alone. And so remember your identity in Christ as He will carry you through. The third would be commitment. You're young, and Lord willing, you have a long life ahead of you. You have a lot of choices to look forward to, and I pray that the Lord will give you great wisdom and even bigger heart than what you already have to make the right choices in life. I know that you've got a keen mind. Ever since you were a baby, we've seen how you analyze things and assist situations. and I didn't want to embarrass her, but I do have a picture of her that on the day that she was born, she basically had this pose. (laughs) And then from that very moment on, we realized yeah, she's going to be a thinker. Um, Well, again, that's how God has wired you. I want you to take advantage of it, and the commitment you have for important things in life will just come naturally. Fourth would be obedience keep studying God's word. You're not going to know how to follow God if you don't know what he's thinking. If you're ever unsure what's on the mind of God, read his mind. It's all right here in the Bible. And then fifth would be service. I know that you have a big heart for God. One of the hardest things that I've had to learn and I'm still learning is knowing what to say no to. You and I are very similar in that we can do a lot of things. But we need to figure out. What are the things that we should do? Yet yeah, that's the easy part. You know what? The hard part is asking God to show us things about ourselves that hurt our relationship with him. We need to say to our heavenly father, search me, O God, and know my heart. Put to the test and know, put me to the test and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. I was even ready to do a whole sermon on Psalm 139. As a matter of fact, I just want to go through the whole Bible with you all over again. But you and I both know that learning from God through his word and by his spirit is a lifelong journey. So my job over the past 18 years has been simply to teach you to obey, to observe God's word. All that Christ has commanded us. Your mom and I have tried our best to teach you how to be a true disciple of Christ, who obeys him because you love him. We know that you'll do well in life because you've learned and continue to learn how to prioritize God. I love you, Cherise, and I'm super proud of you. So, this week, I'd like to talk about discipleship by going through a passage in the book of Luke where Jesus was talking to a large crowd, a large crowd that basically was following him. And in this text, we'll see that Jesus wanted them to know what it would cost to truly follow him. As his disciples, I know that we're all going through difficult times during this global pandemic, especially now that the world is going through this resurgence of COVID. I'm even heartbroken over the developments in Afghanistan, the earthquake in Haiti, and so many other things going on around the world. But I also know that countless people all around us are hurting, they're grieving so much more than we could have ever imagined, whether it be through heart-wrenching loss or through just tremendous burdens that are added upon us. Our hearts and our prayers go out to all of you. Let's do our best to support one another in a way in any way possible, and be there as godly neighbors, just as we saw in the parable of the Good Samaritan. With all of us coping in different ways, I was reminded by a dear friend in a neighboring country who posted his experience last year. This was really last year. And I asked him permission to share with you and he was so gracious in allowing me to do so. So here's what he shared. Grieving during the COVID pandemic is a complicated thing. Many weeks without seeing your older parent other than from a sidewalk, waving up to the shadow behind the third floor window of the home than the loved one in critical condition and isolated in ICU that is closed down to family because without a clear negative test result, medical staff must assume a positive. And finally, no last words because by the time they tell you to come in, it's too late to have them. A death without a funeral, cold and sad paperwork usually done with a compassionate professional and now by email and digital signatures. Grieving without the normal comfort of the larger circle of friends and family. And then for some of those closest, a post-mortem positive COVID-19 report from the hospital means that they themselves now will have to spend the following two weeks isolated and alone with their grief in their quarantined room. So many have gone through this sadness already. Now we too are sharing that as well. But in our weakness, we are made strong because his grace carries us. This dear family, like so many others, has gone through a tragic loss. A loss of a loved one. Yet, in the end, my dear friend says this. Maybe the next one. But in our weakness, we are made strong. Because his grace carries us. Our family has gone through a similar tragedy with Tina having lost her eldest brother just last weekend. Over the past year, I've lost track of how many friends and relatives have lost loved ones. And it's heart-wrenching for us. Sadly, the tragedy and pain doesn't necessarily come from the loss itself, but the circumstance in which everything happens. I could never truly know what Tina, her siblings, and her parents are going through. I can only have a certain level of empathy. But their pain has been great enough that it crushes me too. Personally, I'll never forget last Sunday morning when Tina came out crying and telling me, My brother's gone. The feeling I had was unique to me because I am her husband and we are one flesh. The feelings my daughters have are unique to them because she is their mother. And the feelings that others have when we tell them are different because of their different relationships with us. My hope is that we would all get to know each other better here at Forest Community Church and walk so closely alongside one another as disciples of Christ that we would be able to truly, quote, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Romans 12. Such action would not be a mere act That people do out of obligation, but it would actually become the result stemming from a genuine characteristic of a body of believers made up of true disciples of Christ growing together and becoming more like Jesus. On our fridge, we have a mini whiteboard where we write notes for things that we need to remember. Just yesterday, I saw Tina had written a passage from Deuteronomy 32, and it says, He is the rock, his works are perfect, and all his ways are just. Tina and all my friends remind me that although the loss of a dear loved one is great, their love for Christ is even greater. And that's the grace that carries them through. I hope that you will find that grace in Christ as you experience his love through whatever situation you find yourselves today. And this is the kind of love that I'd like to talk about. A love for Christ so great that it makes the most precious of love that we have for others pale in comparison. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is presented as the perfect man who is able to save any and all who trust him. Luke, a Gentile doctor, writes His gospel based on his own thorough study of the facts surrounding the life of Jesus. Another disciple, Matthew, shows a genealogy linking Jesus as the king, the Jewish Messiah, back to the Davidic throne. But what Luke does is he traces the genealogy of Jesus past David, the former king of Israel, all the way back to Adam, the first perfect man. Jesus Christ, for Luke's readers, become savior to all people, Jew and Gentile alike. Luke uses the term son of man to describe the perfect man, Jesus Christ, who never sinned and who died for the sins of all humanity. In chapter 14, we see examples and parables used by Jesus that have an underlying theme of priorities. Priorities. It starts off with Jesus going into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to simply eat bread. There he heals a man suffering from dropsy while challenging the lawyers and the Pharisees to rethink what is a priority of exception on the Sabbath. Rescuing an animal in distress or healing a fellow man? What would you choose? He then challenges the invited guests through a parable of a wedding feast to think before prioritizing themselves over others in where they sit with regards to the places of honor. Can you imagine these people getting into this wedding feast and saying, I want to be in the place of honor. No, I want to be in the place of honor. People shoving each other or, or even at some points maybe tripping each other just because they want to be in the place of honor. But where is their priority there? And then finally he gives a parable of a big dinner where a man invited many people but they prioritized other things over the dinner and gave many excuses. I have bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. I have bought five yokes of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. I have married a wife and cannot come and for that reason I cannot come. Look at these excuses. We think that they're, they're pretty silly, right? But what kind of excuses have we given Jesus throughout our own lives that we can look back on and see how silly those have been? I've lost track. I can tell you so many silly stories of me coming up with the dumbest excuses in life. But better yet, What kind of excuses do we give Jesus today that are even worse? But we may not even be aware of, or get this, we might be even denying that they're even excuses. So now, in verse 25, we find ourselves walking with Jesus on the road again, heading toward Jerusalem. But along with Jesus, a great multitude was with him. So I'd like for you to stand up with me and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. And let's read verses 25 to 35 together. Luke 14, 25 to 35. Got your Bibles? Here's a warning. Every time you see me up here, I'm going to encourage you to have your Bibles ready. That's how important I think it is. And my girls know that. But for today, I'm going to let you read along. Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and his wife and children and the brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000. Or else while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So that none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Therefore, salt is good, but even if salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear Let him hear her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we adore you. After singing songs of praise and worship, we come before you now with open hearts and attentive minds to hear from you through your word. Help us, O God, to learn more of what it means to be true disciples of Jesus Christ by prioritizing you above all else and preparing ourselves to carry our cross by counting the cost as faithful followers of Christ. We pray this In His holy and righteous name, Amen. Please be seated. Let's start with the basic definition of a disciple. A true disciple is one who learns from Jesus and lives out what he or she learns from their their teacher, divine teacher. But a, a true disciple of Christ. Cannot truly live out what he or she learns if they do not love him first. Are you a true disciple of Christ? That means you need to love Jesus first and foremost. If you in John 14:15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you haven't figured it out yet, keeping Jesus' commandments is not an easy thing. Why? Because when we submit to our own flesh, we end up choosing what we want over what God wants. It's actually a lot easier to love things that give us immediate and temporary satisfaction rather than waiting on eternal rewards. Let me say that again. It's actually a lot easier to love things that give us immediate and temporary satisfaction rather than waiting on eternal rewards. One of my favorite authors, Warren Wiersbe, had this to say. Salvation is open to all who will come by faith, while discipleship is for believers willing to pay a price. Salvation means coming to the cross and trusting Jesus Christ, while discipleship means carrying the cross and following Jesus. This pretty much sums it up. I could end my sermon right here and we would be done. And you guys would probably be happy. But let's take a closer look at the passage that we just read. In verse 25, as I mentioned earlier, one of the things that Luke covers in chapter 14 is a parable of a big dinner where a man invited many people, but they prioritized other things over the dinner and gave many excuses. Here in verse 25 we see large crowds traveling with Jesus. I'm not gonna doubt their belief in him, but we see here that Jesus wanted them to take a journey beyond the salvation that they were freely given and move into a commitment and a sacrifice that would be taken to a whole new level to make them truly disciples of Jesus Christ. You know what? Curiosity is one thing, but discipleship is another. There are many people who were accompanying Jesus who were not really following him in the sense that they were trying to learn from him. You know what? They were simply there just to benefit from his ministry. I don't know about you, but... I was born in the Philippines, but grew up in the San Francisco Bay area. When I moved out to Texas, and I would tell Texans, yeah, I'm from California. And some of you Californians can understand this. They would say, oh, you're from California? That that land full of heathens? And it was kind of like, all right. And then I realized, oh, well, welcome to the Bible Belt. As a matter of fact, Dallas is the buckle of the Bible Belt. But you know what? I learned from other pastors that I've talked to here, when I share stories of what the Christian life looks like in California versus the quote-unquote buckle of the Bible belt, and when I share stories of the Christian life from other countries, you know what they've told me? They said those lives of Christians are truly abundant in comparison to what we have here. Now, why would they say that? Why would they tell me that abundant life is so much more obvious amongst Christians outside of the buckle of the Bible belt? One of the challenges is you've got large crowds attending these churches, and they're just there to simply receive the benefits. Coming from, growing in, or living through any culture has its pluses and minuses. Take, for example, communal cultures. Community cultures such as Asian Americans, African Americans, Latin Americans, pretty much most of the rest of the world. Did you know that the United States, when it comes to individualism, is rated number one amongst all of the countries? Welcome. This is where we live. Even though, and for us, as we go through our realization that community is important, family is big, especially in Asian American cultures, especially in my family, in the Filipino culture, even though our crazy fights are pretty much going to be ones in which we end up with disagreements, loyalty to a blood relative does not compare to anything else. I'm the oldest of three siblings. We grew up teasing each other calling each other names and arguing all the time. But beware to anyone outside our family that does any of those things to any one of us as siblings. The other two will unleash a wrath that will make you want to crawl under a rock for protection. So you can see the three of us fighting all the time and bickering and just getting each other's faces. But outside of our family, don't you dare talk to any one of us that way. That's how close knit our family is. Our love for one another was unmatched. And so imagine that what would happen when the three of us would want to protect our parents. Well, I said that our love for one another was unmatched until I got married and was blessed with three of my own children. Now take that passion and zeal in me as the oldest child of this family and imagine it exponentially now as a husband and as a father. Look out. But when Jesus says to hate one's own parents, siblings, spouse, and children, he's not telling us to disown them and make them like enemies. He's telling us to take that love we have for our relatives and use it as a launching point from which we are to have unmatched love for him. One must be willing to give up his or her primary allegiance to family and self. But Jesus taught his disciples to love their enemies rather than hating them. He wasn't contravening the teaching of the fifth commandment either. He spoke positively about loving oneself too. He clearly meant hate in a relative sense rather than an absolute sense here. As a matter of fact, he wants us to grow in our love for others so that our love for him grows even more. That means that our love for him should pale in comparison to our love for one another. That should blow your mind The love that I have for my wife and daughters, he wants me to love him even more? Wow. But how do we do that? We carry our own cross and follow him. That means our allegiance and identity is no longer a mere name that we uphold. We are now to be identified with Christ, even unto death. Luke probably pointed out this detail in what Jesus said because of the persecutions and challenges that his Gentile readers were encountering. Now, have you ever found yourself in a situation that you would gladly step into it if it meant saving someone you loved, even if it meant death? That's the kind of love that Jesus was talking about. That's focused perseverance. If, as a father, any of my daughters were to become terminally ill, God forbid, I would not hesitate to take their place and put that illness upon me, knowing that they would be healed, but I would die. That's the kind of love that God showed us at the cross. He knew that we would perish because the penalty of sin is death. But he took on that penalty of sin knowing that he would die just so that we can have eternal life. The beauty of it, though, is that death could not hold him. He died. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. And he is now sitting at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Amen? In verses 28 through 30, Jesus told another parable. He said, for which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish he was basically telling those in this immense crowd that they should count the cost before considering becoming his disciples. Salvation is free, but discipleship is costly. Upon salvation, Christ wants us to immediately walk intimately and passionately with him. But we need to understand the undertaking of what that truly means. Have you ever been so excited about something that you just jumped right in and went for it? And then at some point you may have realized that you were in deeper than you thought, drowning in something that you did not quite expect. By then you probably were not able to see it through and ended up walking away from it in discouragement and shame. It's like that in Christianity. We receive the gift of salvation and we'll never lose it. But discipleship is a whole other level that requires intelligent thought and careful considerations. Jesus wants us to follow him, but not as blind lemmings. He wants us as committed followers who will see him through any and all circumstances. In the parable parable of verses 31 through 32, Jesus wanted the crowd to know that the cost of failure to commit oneself in discipleship Under him was not simply shame, but actual defeat and personal destruction. He wanted them to know that they would actually be walking into battle with him as they lived a life under him, and that temptations and trials would come, ones that would be even greater than their own individual capacities could handle, yet... 1 John 4.4 4 says, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Jesus wasn't trying to talk people out of following him in discipleship. He was educating them on the fact that temptations and trials would come, but those things would actually make them depend on him more, especially through the spiritual battles that would rage on all around them. That requires proactive commitment. Jesus wants us to be passionate, intelligent followers, not discouraged, naive fanatics who would retreat at the first sign of trouble. A disciple must bear the burden of public identification with Jesus even to death if necessary. Luke recorded this comment in more detail than Matthew did, perhaps because of his Gentile readers' greater need for challenge and encouragement in view of persecution. You know what? For us here as Americans, being here in the United States, we're kind of spoiled. I don't think we know what persecution really is all about. But I would encourage you. One of the things I love about Forest Community is that our house churches are named after our partners in the field. Get to know our partners even more. Hear their stories. Be passionate with them. Understand what persecution actually really means. And let those stories Transform you so that your love for Jesus Christ would grow beyond what it is today. True discipleship takes us out of the confines of a nursery and mobilizes us under Christ as an infantry. Yeah, as you get to know, you'll, like, you'll know that I like to these play on words, right? Well, the point here is maturity. When you were young, you took baby steps when it came to receiving God's word. Now that you're older and more mature, you can prepare your own food and feed yourself. You can study God's word on your own and process it by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can be the kind of soldier for Christ that God wants you to be. In verse 33, Jesus said, so then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Obviously, Jesus' 12 disciples had not given everything away. They simply unloaded any excess baggage that would hinder them from being nimble enough to follow their divine teacher. They were willing to give up everything to follow him. Exercising nimble obedience means that you have nothing holding you back. How many of you have gone on a trip with someone who carries twice or thrice as many bags as you? Okay, don't point at your spouse, okay? Just think about those kinds of scenarios. It's not easy to travel with them. You may have even found yourself having to help them carry their bags. Whenever I take teams on short-term mission trips, I give them a list of must-have items uh, that I know they cannot survive without. Then I give them a list of things that they don't need, and tell them how big their two bags should be. At that point, I get to hear moaning and groaning from those who have yet to learn. It isn't until we are on our trip that they realize the importance of being nimble. It isn't until you are on an active walk with your Lord and Savior that you realize what it means to be nimble. What kind of baggage are you carrying? Ask God this week to show you what excess baggage you have. And then ask him to give you strength to unload it. To give it up. In verses 34 through 35, Jesus is comparing disciples to salt. During that time in their area, salt was very important. It gave flavor to food. It slowed decay and was even used in the fertilization process of land. These days, we evaporate salt water to get our salt. Back then, it would come from salt marshes, and it contained many impurities. But because the sodium itself was more soluble than most of those impurities, the remaining substance would become useless from being diluted. Similarly, a disciple who becomes diluted by priorities other than Christ will become useless. And no longer effective to serve him. Instead, God wants us to effectively serve him. Just as salt can lose its saltness, so a disciple can cease to follow Jesus. In that case, both things become useless. What distinguishes a disciple of Jesus from a non-disciple? What makes him or her salty is his or her allegiance to Jesus Christ. Farmers added salt to animal dung to slow down the fermentation process so that they could preserve it as fertilizer until they needed to use it. The disciple who doesn't continue following Jesus faithfully falls under divine judgment. Not that he's going to lose his salvation, but part of his reward, specifically the opportunity for further effective service. What impurities are there in your life that keep you from effectively serving God? Remember the five pieces of advice that I shared with Sharice as her dad? let's review what our heavenly dad showed us through today's passage. First one is unmatched love. Love God, love others, make disciples. Love God, love others, make disciples. Love God passionately and intimately above all else. Let me give you a question to think about this week. And I want you to write this down. How do I take the tremendous love that I have for my family and friends and use it to launch me into an unmatched love for Jesus? How do I take the tremendous love that I have for my family and friends and use it to launch me into an unmatched love for Jesus? If you don't get all this, Come to me later and I'll give you my notes. Second is focused perseverance. Identify yourself with Christ by carrying your cross. Here's the second thing I want you to write down. How committed am I to Christ that I would no longer worry about my own reputation and let others persecute me? That I would no longer be self-centered but Christ-centered. How committed am I to Christ that I would no longer worry about my own reputation and let others persecute me? Third, proactive commitment. Realize the cost. We saw it in verses 28 through 30. Plan a holy finish. Complete your life in Christ till the very end. And then secondly, prepare for battle. Verses 31 through 32. Know that temptations and trials will come. Depend on him. Support one another. Just like any good army unit, Leave no one behind. We should be known by our love for one another. That's what distinguishes us from the rest of the world, that we take care of our brothers and sisters. Have you ever been left behind? Have you ever left someone behind? Here's the question I want you to think about this week on that third point. Where do I need to grow in my life and become more like Christ? In what areas am I immature and need to grow so that I can fight alongside my brothers and sisters in Christ who need me? Where do I need to grow in my life and become more like Christ? Fourth is nimble obedience. Here's the question for that. Do you have any excess baggage? Do I have any excess baggage that is inhibiting me from fully following Christ? Pray about it this week and ask him to help you unload your burdens. Do I have any excess baggage that is inhibiting me from fully following Christ? And then fifth, effective service. Ask yourself, is there anything that is diluting my commitment to Christ? Then we need to follow up with the serious question of, do I really want to be useful to him? If not, then ask someone to pray for you. If so, then ask someone to pray for you. And finally, ask yourself, in what areas of my life am I not truly following Jesus? Then ask God what to do with those areas. So overall... Luke is trying to point out in this chapter that Jesus is to be our life priority if we are to truly be his disciples. By the way, love for Christ is not a one-way relationship. In 1 John 4.19, it says, we love him because he first loved us. Look at that. The love that we have for Christ the love that is prioritized over everything and everyone else is possible because he loved you and me first. Let that sink in. And by the way, discipleship is not a ministry that we give to another. Discipleship is our life that we give to Christ. When we talk about discipleship, don't let the focus be on us. Let the focus be on Christ. If you have put your trust in Jesus as your personal Savior, then you have been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. I hope that you will let me and others come come alongside you in co-discipleship under Christ so that we can walk together as true disciples. So I leave you with this. A committed disciple of Christ loves him first and foremost above all others. And our love for others is great, is, is great but should pale in comparison to our love for him. Let's pray.